Yeah, so first of all, I'm, I'm Mark Buving. I'm a, a lead pastor at Creekside Church up in Rockland, outside of the Sacramento area. And um, I had the uh, privilege, I think, of taking over the church, like right, like literally, I was put before the congregation as um, we're going to make Mark our, our new lead pastor literally the week before COVID hit. So that was like our, our last Sunday, like gathering. And then we got to do everything virtually. And um, so that's been a whole adventure that I'll reference a little bit with this. But um, if you, okay, so if you want uh, to dive into this subject matter a bit, uh, jackasstheology.com is a website and you can go there and we have a bunch of, it's basically a blog that we put together. So um, how do I, how do I show this? So I, first of all, I don't need you guys to agree with me about anything. Um, I'm not trying to convince you guys of anything, but this is kind of me sharing a little bit of my journey and what I've learned. And so hopefully we can kind of like laugh together. I have one kind of slight goal, which is that by the end of it, we'll all kind of be able to admit like, yeah, I'm kind of a bit of a jackass sometimes. Okay. So my starting assumption is that I'm the only jackass here and you guys can come to that realization on your own if you'd like to. Um, but a lot of this is kind of my journey with, um, uh, kind of my theological journey and, kind of na- navigating the Christian cultural landscape. So I, I started this whole thing with Ryan McDiarmid, who was, um, I was his associate. He was my lead pastor for four years. And then he stepped down prior to COVID. He's, um, he, he's, some of you probably even know Ryan. Um, but, uh, so that's what we're going to do today. I want to, um, I want to just make this statement up front too. I am pretty darn certain that I am more conservative than anybody in this room, okay? So lest you think that the guy with the jackass theology seminar is just like some liberal, crazy person, um, I have proof I went to master's seminary, okay? I still believe <laughs> almost everything that I was taught. Okay, I've got my... So, um, so I'm, I still... I my MacArthur study Bible. Oh, okay, that's good. I've got it digitally. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not... I'm not trying to like one up you or anything, but, um, <laughs> but like right here, there was that day on my graduation day that John MacArthur touched my arm, like right here. So <laughs> if you want access later, um, anyway, so, um, I, I still am very, um, conservative, but I, I, what I, what I'm talking about with Jackass Theology is more of like a, um, a lot of it's just kind of tone. So I'm going to, I'm going to step through, um, first the problem and kind of diagnose it. Um, as I see it, and then we can dig into some um, kind of dismantling cultural elements. So, um, so I've got four things. One is I think we in the church have sort of a, a PR problem in a sense. Okay, so um, Barna did a 1996 study where they said that uh, they found that 85 percent. So 1996. This is what's that like 28 years ago, 26 years ago. Um, 85 percent of unchurched people held a favorable view of the church, okay? So 26 years ago, 80, that's almost everybody, right? 85% of people were like, yeah, church is cool, you know? Um, then come back 2007, so that's a mere 11 years later, and it's still a long time ago, that number was down from 85% down to 16%. So just 16% in 2007 were like, yeah, I have a favorable view of the church. And they found that only 3% of people would say the role of evangelicals in society is positive, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you have to say that they're right, okay? We, we kind of, we're the ones that believe in the church and we believe in the value of it and everything. But I would say at the very least, it speaks to a, um, a PR problem that we have, okay? So words that people described in these studies for Christians is um, hypocritical, unloving, quick to judge, like those kinds of things, okay? So now, again, doesn't mean they're right. And I think even the fact that people look at the church and are like, oh, those people are terrible, right? There's hypocrisy there. They're also judgmental and critical and everything else, right? But 
for a group of people where Jesus described us and said, they're going to know that you're Christians by the way that you love one another, right? Um, seems like we should be a little bit better than 13%, uh, you know, whatever that is, like 15 years ago. And I, it's definitely gotten worse since then. I'll share some more recent stats on that as well. So um, definition of jackass theology. It could be that everybody's wrong, but it could be that we're doing, that we're contributing to that negative per- perception. So I want to define jackass theology. I think that is the problem. Um, I want to define it as basically if you want a friendlier version so you don't have to like semi-cuss um, in saying it is, um, is it is, it's like it's holding your theology like a Pharisee. That's like basically what it amounts to, holding your theological posture in the way that the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were very biblical, right? They were all about like the truth and everything and they held it tightly, but they were like so contrary to the heart and spirit of Jesus and what God actually wanted to do in the world. And I, I just, I read the gospels and they're, the Pharisees to me are proof positive that you can be a good Christian, you can be a biblical Christian and totally miss the heart of Jesus completely. And I feel like that's been the trend um, in a lot of the circles that I've been. Another way I would define Jackass theology is to say um, that it's, it's, it's when your theology the way you hold your theology makes you less like Jesus, okay? So if, if our theology is right and good and pure and everything, um, it should play out. Jesus is proof that it should play out in the kind of love that can speak truth, right? That can say hard things. We all know Jesus said really hard things. It's not about toning it down. It's not about changing our theology. But Jesus said hard things. Meanwhile, he had dinner with tax collectors and he had dinner with people that were accused of sexual sin and he had dinner with Pharisees, right? And he was uh, loving and gracious. And at the end of it all, he literally laid his life down in love for people that were actually theologically wrong and hateful in their spirit and everything else. And so if the way that we hold our theology and our, our being biblical makes us act and look and posture ourselves in a way that does not look like Jesus, then something's wrong with that. That's, that's basically what I'm trying to say when I say um, when we talk about jackass theology. Um, some of this comes down to, I think we have a, a tone and an emphasis problem. So first of all, I want to say we have a PR problem. Second, we have a tone and emphasis problem. Um, I, has anyone in here by chance uh, read Don Quixote, the, the old like classic novel? So Don Quixote is this old um, famous novel. And there's this, um, there's this scene in there that's like the most famous like piece of the book. Um, I think because it comes in the first 100 pages of this like really long book. But um, Don Quixote's like a knight, like a self-described knight. He's kind of crazy, and uh, he decides that he's a knight. So he goes and sets off into the countryside, and he's going to do knightly things. He's going to um, slay dragons and free maidens and whatever. And he goes out and he sees on the hillside there's all these giants that are just like ripping into the countryside and tearing everything apart, right? So he decides he's brave, he's bold, he's going to go, and he's going to liberate these poor peasants that are being terrorized by these giants. So he grabs his lance and he charges at the giants, right? The problem is he's crazy and the, the giants are windmills, okay? So they're just windmills that are sitting here and he just goes charging into it and it throws them around. And the whole book is him just being an idiot, right? But, but he's passionate and he's sincere and he believes that nothing matters more than to like do these acts of bravery, right? But meanwhile, we see the whole thing is just so misguided and foolish, whatever. I feel like in many ways, the evangelical church, we've kind of gotten into that mode a little bit. We're, we're, we're brave, we're passionate, we stand firm on what we believe in, right? But some of the battles that we've picked, I feel like are kind of silly. Um, even, even in my lifetime, I'm, I'm a mere 40 years old, um, I've seen um, huge emphasis on 
courtship versus dating. And there's like battles that we dig in and we hold fast on, you know, like we got all kiss dating goodbye. And now it's like, if you kiss dating goodbye, like you're, you know, like it's just, it's, it's so dumb. Um, homeschool versus public school. Like all these are fine things to hold beliefs about. Right. But we've kind of like posture ourselves more recently. Um, do you support Donald Trump or do you hate Donald Trump? Right. And whichever side of that you're on, it's like all the issues that we no, not all the issues. Some of the issues that we as churches have chose to really rally around um, are less, less than the things that Jesus cared about, right? So um, recently, masks and no masks, I mean, we had those battles. Hopefully they're pretty much done now. In this group, it looks like it's done. Um, <laughs> let's just really hope. Um, uh, wokeism, you know, are you woke enough as a church or anti-wokeism? Are you too woke as a church, right? So there's things that we fight and battle for and all those things matter, right? Like how we, how we handle immigration matters a ton. How we um, care for like racial equality in America, that, all that matters. But we make these things into, these, um, into the issue when they're not the issue, right? So um, we kind of put these things up. And so I think what's happened a lot is we've kind of tethered our faith, like this, this like walk, daily walk with Jesus and this following him in love in our community. We've, we've kind of um, swapped that out for traditional Christian values or something, right? And, and I think a lot of times we've just kind of gotten lost. We've been like Don Quixote and doing some of the wrong things. And I think that's becoming more and more of a problem. So let me share, let me share um, kind of under this heading a few ways that one can be a jackass, okay? And I just, I have a quota of number of times I have to say jackass, so I'm going to get there with this. So um, there's the conservative jackass, and I'll just own this. I have been the conservative jackass, jackass a lot in my past, and I still kind of am that in some ways. So the conservative jackass is right, okay, and you are not right, okay? Conservative jackass knows the truth, holds fast the truth, and the, the argument of choice for the conservative jackass is the slippery slope, okay? Everything is a slippery slope. So, it, so does the Bible allow for drinking? Perhaps, but if you start drinking, then it leads to, you know, whatever, marijuana. You're doing marijuana, and then you're doing meth before you know, right? I'm being, I'm being like, really facetious, but you guys know what it is, right? Um, if we, if we, um, I, I've, I've heard this. I had a woman um, preach in our church for the first time in a long time, and the biggest argument I heard from people was, um, oh, okay, look, look, Mark, if you have a woman preach, no big deal. I don't care. That's great. No problem. Um, but it's when we have the gay preacher and it's when we have the, you know, Buddhist preacher and whatever, like, and it's just, that's the slippery slope, right? Anything that you step out of line where I can maybe question, or I don't really feel like it's conservative for me, anything you do, it just leads to this eventual point, right? And so anyways, that's kind of what it means to be, I think like the conservative, it's like, it's just a way of, it's not necessarily about truth and fault. It's not saying I believe the Bible or I don't. Um, it's a way of kind of dismissing a whole group or a whole movement or a whole person based on slight disagreement. Is the, uh, was the world created in six literal days? I've heard, I've heard people say, if, it, if you don't believe the world was created in six literal days, you don't believe anything in the Bible. Someone I respect a ton said that. It's like, whoa, that's, that's actually crazy. Like, that's, that's not a like, logical statement. That's, that's rough, you know? Um, and so there's all kinds of things like that. So I've been the uh, conservative jackass quite a bit. Anybody want to own up to that in, in your past or present or hopefully not future? Okay. Then there's the enlightened jackass, okay? Enlightened jackass um, has come to realize deeper, more important things, okay? This is more of a woke personality type, okay? And so you've, you've, you've learned, you've grown, and you kind of look at everybody else around you and you're like, yeah, why don't they know what I know, you know? So um, 
early COVID, right? It was, um, George Floyd was killed and those of us like white pastors really had like a quick learning curve of like, crap, like how do I talk about these things? And it was really easy to like, um, I would follow along on Twitter. It's if you are a pastor in America and this Sunday you don't blank, right? Whatever that is, then you are, I don't know what, you know, anathema or a terrible person or whatever. And I would read these things and it was about, it was about mass. If you, if you're not wearing masks in church, then you, or if you're gathering at all as a church on this Sunday, then you don't care about whatever. And I read these things and I get really stressed out because it's like these huge moral statements. And then you step back and breathe and you're like, hang on, like none of that's actually true. Right. I just need to like learn and love and whatever. And, but I find myself, right. I'm like, I learned this this week about George Floyd and what it means to stand with the black community. And now I'm going to hold everybody else accountable to understanding it exactly the way that I do. Right. And, um, it's just a mess. Um, the Enlightened Jackass is like the, in Luke 18, there's the Pharisee and there's the sinner. The sinner stands there, like falls on his knees. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Meanwhile, the Pharisee, Lord, I thank you that you have not made me like these other people, right? So however you fill in that blank of, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like so-and-so. Um, the Christian homeschool community, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the ultra-conservative Trump supporter, the uh, Christian who, who somehow thinks they follow Jesus but also voted for Joe Biden, you know, whatever it is, right, that you fill that in with, that makes you the enlightened jackass. So I am more recently an enlightened jackass about several things. Anybody willing to, like, own that one a little bit? Okay. Two hands for sure. Awesome. Um, there's the political jackass that I think we kind of all have fallen into a little bit, but it's, it's basically just partisan rigidity, okay? It's like, how can somebody be a Republican and a Christian? I'm saying that, like, hypothetically, because I'm sure all of you guys in your context, it's more like, how could somebody be a Democrat and a Christian, right? Um, the, 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 like, foulest thing you can call somebody is liberal, right? And so there's this, um, this political rigidity to the whole thing. I, I really believe the gospel is deeply... Uh, deep has deep political implications, but I don't think the gospel is partisan in any sense. And it's certainly not in the ways that we've oversimplified it, in my personal opinion. So sometimes I think we've often become these political jackasses and put, um, attach the name of Jesus too readily to things that are at best tangentially related to who he is and, and at worst give the wrong idea. Here's one that, here's one that is... Um, a fascinating study for today. This is the last one I'll kind of share on this front, but um, this is Jackass by Association, okay? And uh, so this is, uh, it's interesting to me that we, we, every one of us drove past, uh, I'd say at least hundreds and probably thousands of other churches to arrive here at this church today, right? To be here with each other. And we did, we drove past all those other churches because we are united because we share a doctrinal statement together, Right? We believe without mental reservation every word in that doctrinal statement. And so that's what unites us together. And it's really easy for us to be here and to have like unity with each other because this like today as we're here, all we're going to talk about is the things that we agree with. Right. We're on board. We're together. Man, these are my brothers and my sisters. And I don't want to diminish that because I like I love you guys. And it is really encouraging to be together. And we do have a lot of similarities. But how funny that we would drive past all the churches that I share a mission field with, right? Like I'm serving alongside all these other pastors and churches in my area, and I leave them and come and be with you guys because we hold a doctrinal statement together. Isn't that interesting? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, um, wouldn't it be great to have unity and association and um, camaraderie with the, you know, hey, they, they speak in tongues and we don't, you know? They, they're more Arminian, I'm more Calvinist, you know? 
but we're serving together the same group of people and so reaching out. So anyways, all, this, all these kinds of things. They're all just different ways of saying often kind of the way we do our theology. So I'm not, I, I'm like super pro EFCA. I hope I'm not coming across as, you guys are awesome. This is awesome. We're great. Um, but I think that, I think that what happens is we often, under the name of being biblical and holding biblical truth, we hold it and our posture becomes such that I think we kind of, um, it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff to a lot of people. It makes us often less like Jesus in our theology. If it's, if it's accurate and it's rightly held, our, our theology should always make us act more like Jesus to the people that we're around. We should feel more like Jesus. We should feel more like the love and grace and invitation, even in the hard things Jesus said. So that leads into uh, my third kind of um, uh, diagnosis of the problem. I think we have a generational problem in the church too. I think that, um, I think we've been seeing, I think we've been hearing a lot about it. I don't think any of us really knows what it means all the way. Um, I feel like as at 40 years old, I'm kind of like a hinge in between um, kind of, you know, where I've come from and what the church is happening. But 2011, Barna did a study. Um, so this is what, that's 11 years ago. They said 43% of church kids were dropping out between their teen and adult years. Okay, so what's that? 43, so nearly half in 2011, 11 years ago, nearly half of church kids were leaving the church. Interestingly, they found that uh, of those, only 11% literally like left their faith fully behind. So, mo- so, ha- so half of Christian kids leaving the church, but of those, just one in 10 is actually like, you know, I want nothing to do with Jesus, I'm gonna become Buddhist, or I'm gonna become atheist or whatever. Nine out of 10 of those that left the church are still like, yeah, I I love Jesus and there's like religion and church and Jesus in my future, but um, what the church is doing right now doesn't really work for me, right? Now, again, doesn't make them right. Doesn't mean we take a poll and just say, hey, what does everyone want to do? Let's do what everyone else wants to do, right? But it does mean there's something about the way we are posturing ourselves as a church um, that hasn't been working for that large group of people. That was 2011. 2019, they did another study and it went from 43% dropping out to 64% dropping out. So that's a couple of years ago. And I, I don't know what post-pandemic stuff will reveal, but I, it's, I don't think a secret that the next generation has had a, a problem, an issue with a lot of the ways. And I don't think it, it doesn't have anything to do with we're true traditional. We sing hymns. We do too much liturgy. I, like younger generations dig that stuff, surprisingly, a lot of times. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with how we've been posturing ourselves and how we've, um, we've made being you know, pro-Trump, identical with being, um, you know, pro-church or, you know, just all these kinds of things that, that we do in all the different ways. Um, I, have this, uh, I have this illustration I like to use that comes from Soren Kierkegaard. So he, he says, basically, he's writing, he's writing in like um, 19th century Denmark. And actually, this is, this is legit here because I, I found in my ordination reading that uh, EFCA, uh, founding fathers were influenced by Soren Kierkegaard, okay? So this is very legit and appropriate. I know you guys will appreciate it all the more now. Um, but he says, you, can't, you can never hand the faith down to the next generation. I, I feel like so much of what we've tried to do is we, um, we're trying to like learn the Bible and figure out Christianity so that we can get it all together so that we can take the next generation to our kids and everything and just say, okay, here it is. Like, be very careful with it. Don't mess with anything. It's just the way that it should be. Here's your faith. Like, take it, right? And I feel like that's um, a lot of the Christian education movements and a lot of our churches feels like that. But what Kierkegaard says is, no, every, every generation has to find Jesus for themselves. Like, they have to have their own encounter with Jesus. And, um, and so I, I picture it almost like a pendulum. So, um, so you know, my parents' generation was more like, um, 
we've got to like oppose liberalism and get back to like hardcore truth. And uh, my generation's coming like, no, it's about like a relationship with Jesus. It's not, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. So we push the pendulum back this way and um, each generation kind of comes in. And I feel like sometimes we feel like what the answer is, is let's get the pendulum to stop in the dead center, right? Let's get it right so that we can figure it out. And then we can tell the next generation, this is where it stays. Here's Christianity. And if you're, if you're like over here or if you're over here, you're not part of the faith, right? But what Kierkegaard would say is it's actually the pushing of the pendulum that is where the health lies, right? It's a generation coming along and caring enough about Jesus and the church to say, I see some unhealth in what my parents' generation did. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to like push this thing. And yeah, it'll need to be corrected and the next generation will come back. And so the, the way I kind of think about it is uh, not that we can't have um, aging pastors, right? I, at 40 years old, I feel that more than ever. Like, let's keep the aging pastors for sure. We need us. Um, but I feel like, uh, I feel like, um, I feel like we need to be uh, in dialogue and communication with the younger generation, right? Like, who are the younger leaders that are coming up? And, and what are their complaints with that faith? I, I see a lot of, um, a lot of, there's a lot of bashing of the kind of deconstructing generation that I see. And I'd like to see that um, kind of shift and become like more of an open dialogue and say, what, you know, what, what is your, what are your concerns and how can we like open up some dialogue? A lot of it's just, they don't like the arrogant tone or the certainty that we have about certain things. I mean, there's, there's a, I mean, there's a real sense in which none of us can like really explain the Trinity, right? Without appealing to mystery on some level. I know you, you can, you'll say like, yeah, no, I'll explain the Trinity to me. And then you'll tell me it's like an egg or it's like the three sits water. All of it uses metaphor and mystery, right? There's, there's mystery in our faith. So there's room to have these discussions. Anyways, all I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to make anybody liberal, I promise. I'm just trying to say, um, opening it up so that the next generation can begin to grab ownership of it. Barna found, um, it was like 20 years ago, Average age of a pastor was 45 years, um, five, 45 years old. Uh, 10 years later, no, no, 10 years ago, 2017 is when it was, uh, 55. So average age of the pastors aged 10 years up, right? So I think we just need to do that extra work of listening to what this next generation is coming from and giving them a chance to own it and everything else. All right, last thing I'll say on, on diagnosing the problem um, is I think we have a love problem. I think, I think we have, so we have... We have a, a PR problem, we have a um, generational problem, we have a tone and emphasis problem. I think we have a love problem, and I think this is like literally the oldest problem that humanity has ever had. I think we've always had the love problem. So I think that's, that's the story of the prophets, right? They're calling Israel back to like love the, the orphans and the widows and the refugees, like love these people. Um, Jesus told all these parables. I mean, he had to remind us the greatest commandments that are in the Old Testament are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you're... you're um, you're completing the entire law, right? So he's just calling us back to love. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan about the, the, the Levite and the priests, both these religious leaders that are just going on their way and so wrapped up in their religious duties that they're failing to love the hurting person that they see along the side of the road, right? He told the parable of the prodigal son where there's the son that goes off and takes his inheritance and goes and like squanders it. But as soon as he comes back, right, the father goes and runs loves him, sits him at the table. We're throwing a feast. All I've ever wanted is for you to be back here at the table. And then he goes to the older son who's never done anything wrong, who's always stuck by the father's side. He's always been the good one. And now the father can't get him to just sit down at the table. It's like the father just wants a meal at the table with his two sons and he can't get them to come together. I think so much of that is this 
inability to love. Okay, Father, I'll do what's right, but not if he is sitting at this table, right? Not if you're going to go forgiving people like that. And so the call is, I think, so much just to come back to love and wholeness and those kinds of things. Okay, so, so far so good? Are we okay? Okay, I feel, I feel this urge to like turn it to dialogue, but I want to give it a couple more things and then we can. Um, I want to talk now about dismantling a culture of jackass theology. I do not have answers to this. So um, Ryan and I rolled this out as a blog and at our el- the elders' request, we did it separate from our church because we're not idiots, okay? We weren't going to like destroy our church by talking about jackass theology in a church setting. Um, but our elders asked us to actually too. They're like, don't do it on the side. Do it like, talk to us about it as a church and whatever. So um, I, think what I've, I think what we found is a lot of people were okay with it. Um, some people were definitely upset about using the term jackass, which, by the way, it's not even a sword. It's just, a, it's just an animal. You know what I'm saying? It's just an animal. Um, but we did it, and some people were upset. A lot, but a, there was a lot of, like, health and growth, and they opened up a lot of good conversations. So that's what I'm most excited about. And I think what it's done is it's now that it's been um, – we started in 2019, so I guess we're, we've completed three full years of this being out there. What I've kind of learned as I've gone is there are some things that kind of help to dismantle this, both in my own heart and then I think um, in terms of shaping a culture in the church around me. So that's, I'll kind of share some of that now. So the first of, first of all is I think we need to recover a huge emphasis on humility. Like I, I can't even tell you how, how deeply I believe that humility is vital for us. Um, so I, uh, so Neil sent me, I think two years ago, sent me this little book by Andrew Murray called Humility. It's a tiny little book, and it's just digging in page after page on humility, and it's so simple, but it's saying crazy things like um, we should embrace like everything that comes to us, we should embrace it, everything that makes us more humble, because that makes us more like Jesus, it puts us more in a healthy relationship to him, and it's easy to read that, right, but it was... The timing of it was really awesome because I went from, I, I, I told you guys this, I took over the week the pandemic um, rolled out. And so, which means I went from Ryan who had a healthy church, meeting budget, um, plenty of people there, uh, uh, full staff, everything else, everybody's happy, to then under my watch, we shrunk numerically considerably. We uh, had budget crisis considerably. We had people angry about everything considerably. You guys know how all this stuff goes. And so it just, on every single level, I was like constantly losing. And, and I'm like, okay, like this is, this is rough. And I mean, of course you appeal to the pandemic. It's like, of course, yeah, things are rough, but it's, it's hard to kind of, di- so getting this gift of focusing on humility during that was so good for me. I had, um, we read it together with my entire staff. We would talk about it. Um, we'd pray through it. We'd be talking about humility. And I can't even tell you how thankful I am that we did that because it sowed these seeds of humility that as we've kind of gone in the stuff, there are things that are kind of, you know, turning around, quote unquote, for us now. Um, But it just prepared my heart to not be upset or not be competitive or not try to like earn anything or prove anything, but just to be like, okay, Lord, yes, you, you teach me through this. And all this is making me more dependent on you. Like I've, I've become a prayerful person. Like I never, I've so far to go with it, but so like I never was before prior to all this. So all that was just so good for my soul to just lean into that humility and to do it together as a staff. Um, and so anyway, all that stuff has been so good for us, but it's so, it's so, it's so the opposite of the culture that we live in. So, um, you guys know how it is. The, um, 
the loudest voices on social media, right? The most certain voices are the ones that are going to get the most followers, right? So you could you could put a, you could post something on social media about, um, you know, we should we should um, pray for people who are in authority and we should love people or whatever. That that might get a like from like your deepest closest friend if they happen to be looking at it at the moment, right? But if you say something about like, um, you know, screw anyone who won't who doesn't have the guts to vote for Donald Trump in this election. You're going to get a lot of likes and you're going to get a lot of discussion and the algorithms boost you. And you, you know what I'm saying? There, there's something about the certainty and the brashness and the lack of nuance that drives platform. And, um, and it's just it's kind of the opposite of humility, right? We have, we have like a fame and guru culture, I think, right now. Um, so, so, for example, if you get... Um, if you get Francis Chan to come speak at your DLD, which Neil was able to do a couple of years ago, you get a big DLD, okay? You get a lot of people that want to come. If you do a bunch of breakout sessions for a DLD, you get the faithful choir that can be <laughs> preached to that are going to be here no matter what, right? Um, and, and that's nothing against Francis, and it's nothing, but it's just, it's just the reality that there is this, like, fame, there is this um, guru culture, even like the cool, like John Mark Comer is like this for me. He's like cool and he'll talk against big crowds and everything, but he does it in a way that makes him cooler and makes him more famous and whatever. And so there's there's just this like sense of like, uh, we all kind of, we want to like be significant, right? Like we want to grow. And so we want to do things in a way that it's going to kind of platform a little bit better and it's going to sound better to everybody else. But there's something about... Um, I think the way that we tend to fall into that trap, and I'll just say, as for me as a as a pastor of a, um, a small church in my area, we're not big by any means in our area. Um, I I even feel the pull of that, like trying to kind of platform a little bit more, try to get success just a little bit more, try to compete just a little bit more with the other churches, or even you know where Ryan had the church before he sat down. All those kinds of things, I, I find my heart wanting, and it's a struggle to say, okay, hang on, hang on. Humility is good. Like this is, I should be in a place where I am humble and dependent on the Lord. Like I don't, my budget doesn't need to be that. Like I, we can, we can make cuts. We can do hard things and we can be here if this is in fact where God wants us to be. And so I think all of these things have been really good for me. I feel like, um, I feel like there's a call that I've received to um, embrace uh, obscurity in the same way that um, I think like Eugene Peterson did. So I think Eugene Peterson failed completely at being obscure, but I think he kind of wanted to, I think he embraced it. So he was, if you don't know, he's the guy that like translated the message, um, which I went to masters and we were taught that that's like literally the worst thing that Satan ever did was create the, uh, the message translation. Um, and you definitely would not call it a translation. Um, uh, midrash maybe or something, but um, but Eugene Peterson was like this small little mountain town pastor, and he was like so content embracing his role of being a small mountain town pastor. And he like lived his whole life like in pastoring this little group of people, but somewhere along the line, a major publisher found Eugene Peterson and began publishing his stuff on a major level. And I think probably his people in this little town never had any clue that he was a big deal really, or, or didn't register. So he's like a big deal, but he was, uh, a small, and I just, I just love that. I love the call to just um, embrace obscurity. Like we can, like we're just, we're just shepherds. Like I, I was driving here today. I'm like, I, I literally cannot believe that I get to do what I get to do on a daily basis. Like I get to just like, um, I just get to like sit down and just cry with people. You know, I get to, um, I get to talk people through hard things. I get to open up the Word of God and just like, like seeds, throw that out to people. Like it's such a gift to be able to do it. And it's so gross when that gets turned, in my heart at least, into a um, potential ladder that I can climb so that I can 
perceive myself a certain way or so that other people can. So I, I feel like um, what's been helpful for me, and I think I'd just throw it out to all of you guys too, is just to say, um, wouldn't it be great if we could just enjoy being with Jesus, just joyfully accept that um, calling he's given us, let go of all the, the need to be significant or appear significant to anyone else, and let him bless and, and lead and grow in all the ways that he wants to. I think um, similarly, we've got two more things here. I think we need to recover a huge emphasis on love. Um, and I, I, again, I think this is the oldest problem in the, in the book. But I think, um, I, I asked myself this question at a certain point. Is it possible to be right and to still be sinful in how you treat somebody else? What do you guys think? Can you be right but also still be sinful in how you treat somebody else? I end up answering that yes. Yeah, I think, I think you totally can. Um, and so you can have the right answer. I, I think this is the Pharisees in a lot of ways, but I think it goes beyond that because we can quote chapter and verse, but we can use it in a way that just obliterates human beings, right? Just hurts people um, and, uh, and, and lifts ourselves up and all these kinds of things. And so um, I think in some ways you might even say, like you could weigh it, like what's the greater sin to like not develop doctrinal accuracy on everything or to like fail to love the people around you, right? And I feel like Jesus kind of said, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And these are the fulfillment of the whole law, right? So I feel like we need that emphasis shift. And each of our churches is different. Each of our personalities is different. But coming back to that and just say, hey, yeah, we can, we can um, discuss speaking in tongues. We can discuss, should women be elders and preaching and whatever? We can discuss... Um, Gosh, I don't know, so many things, right? So many things. Um, CRT and like any, any controversial hard thing we can discuss, but if we can't do that and still love each other, then man, we've missed like the most important thing for sure. Um, so I, as much as I can, I, I've been trying to in our church, and I, don't, I can't say that we've been super successful, but we've been trying to reframe ministry um, less about programs and more about the table. And I think this embraces both humility and love. So rather than something that we, we create a program and we market it to our church people and we get signups and we can track and mark and watch how many people are taking part in our things, um, we've been trying to say, okay, when you think ministry, think of a table, like a literal table with actual food, with actual, actual drinks, and let's just like spend time loving people in, in the church and in our neighborhoods and everything else. And there's something about that kind of... Um, face-to-face interaction where we're, we're level, we're sitting, you know, next to each other and we're sharing God's goodness. We're opening up our lives to talk and we're not, um, always teaching everybody things, but we're just dialoguing. Some of that has been the best fruit for ministry I've ever seen. I can't say we've been super successful church-wide, but I can say we're shooting for that. We're continuing to like lean into it. And I want to see so much of it. Um, I, I, I realized, I mean, just like this year, I realized reading through the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, uh, a qualifi- qualification for an elder is hospitality. Like, I, I don't know why. I never thought about that, right? I think doctrinal, um, you know, precision, knowing their Bible well, um, being a strong leader, right? But hospitality, you know? And I'm thinking, what, what does that mean? It means that you look out and you think, okay, who would be good at, like, leading this church? Who's the person that's opening their table, that's inviting people in, that's getting people, you know? And I just think, you know, if we could shift our view of what a, what a leader is, uh, what an elder is, and we could shift it into something more like, um, yeah, that person's really hospitable, really loves people, really opens up their home and their life to the people around them. I think it would change some of how we see ourselves and, and the people around us. And I think the last thing I want to say, and then we can just talk about whatever you guys want to talk about or we can be done, is um, 
The third thing, a way to kind of change this culture is, I think we need a renewed pursuit of being and doing what Jesus calls us to be and do, if that makes sense. Renewed pursuit of being and doing what Jesus calls us to be and to do. I feel like um, in seminary, so in seminary, I, so I, again, love John MacArthur. He did touch my arm. I feel really special because of that. Um, ministry classes at John MacArthur Seminary were, um, okay, we're going to teach you how to do children's ministry. Ready? Come to church on Sunday morning, Grace Community Church, and watch how we do kids' ministry. Any questions? Okay, good. That's how you do it, right? Youth ministry, same thing. So it was it, a lot of it was just learning a model, right? And it was just like, do what we do. Like, and I, and I can't fault them, right? They were doing a great job, and they loved it, and they were, like, happy with what was happening. So um, I feel like a lot of what I've been taught pastorally has been, like, um, how is somebody else doing? I'm being handed a model. I'm going to do what they do. And then it's like, um, oh, Rick Warren's got a model. I'm going to do what Rick Warren's doing. Um, the missional church guys are doing their missional thing. I'm going to try to do that thing. And I feel like uh, the last couple of years for me have been the opportunity to kind of step back and say, okay, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks I should be doing as a pastor or as a Christian. What does Jesus want me to do? You know, I had a, I had a friend tell me, um, he says, what, what Creekside needs from you, Mark, most, more than anything is for, is Mark Buving made fully alive in Christ. Like that's the best thing that I can do for my church is to be myself made fully alive in Christ. And I feel like that actually kind of lifted a bit of a weight because I feel like um, kind of just back to the leadership succession that we had, I felt like, okay, I need to be as visionary as Ryan was. I need to be um, as gifted of a communicator as Ryan was, if not more so. Like I need to, and so much of what I was measuring that by was not what is Jesus inviting me to be and to do, but it was, you know, what, what do I, what comparisons am I putting on myself? What are other people putting on me? And, um, and there's just so much uh, relief of burden and relief of stress and just saying, okay, Lord, really like the call, it's your call. It's your call in my life. My whole life is yours. This whole church is yours. All these people are yours. Um, what do you want to do with it? And to just daily, like in humility, in love, um, let's just like live together as a loving community. Let's bless the people around us. I mean, what Jesus calls us to do is so simple and so great. And, um, and, and that's it. It will, de- it will defeat um, jackass theology, okay? I have a few notes on answering objections to that, but why don't I let you guys have an opportunity to raise objections. If you're furious, this is your chance to let it out. Um, if you have a question, a thought that this stirred, anything like that, throw it out. And if you guys are like totally done from the overheating in this room, then, um, then I can jump into my own objections to my own stuff. But thoughts, questions, anything? Not, not a question. Could you rephrase again in just one sentence the, 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 uh, the thesis again that you're asking us to interact with? You? Well, okay, so we have, a, we have a problem of jackass theology, which is holding our theology in a way that makes us less, less like Jesus. So the solution then is let's be more like Jesus. Okay. How's that? Yeah, the solution is be more like Jesus. Not less theology, not less theology. Certainly not. Yeah, certainly not. I, dude, I love theology so much. Like, I love it so much. But, um, yeah, it's just the way that we hold it, you know? Um, and it's, it's the way that we exclude people who differ. I, I used this example of um, in church a few weeks ago where um, it's like we take the Bible. I'm teaching my girls how to play basketball right now. They're like 10 and 12. And I'm teaching them how to block out. Um, and so, you you know, the ball's up here and you're trying to get your body on the other person to keep them away so you can get the ball. And I feel like we've often been like grabbing our Bibles 
and we're kind of like reading it and interpreting it in a way that we're kind of like defining like who's out, who's out, you know, who's not part of this. Instead, we should just be like, you know, Paul says, be like nursing mothers, like with people, just like let's nurture them and let's, let's take that theology in, let it change our souls and feed that to the other people around us. So more theology, just um, less jerks about it. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Paul. So I was thinking, you know, point are you not being a jackass but when you're being you know um, I'm not thinking of the reference off the top of my head but like Paul in one of the letters you know says like if, if they come in like you know yeah deal with it like, yeah you know kind of like yeah so, so I, you know, Paul's that, handing people over to Satan putting them outside the church okay you know, that so kind something of thing. like yeah. that so, yeah. so what does it look like to be firm yeah. I mean I don't know how have you struggled with that? That's like, great. I don't want to be a jackass. I want to be like Jesus, you know. Yeah. And yet, not just forever. Yeah. Not deal with stuff that no, this is this is wrong. This 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 teaching. This you're saying one thing, but yeah. you're doing the other. We we gotta totally. I don't know. I so I can promise you I haven't figured this out. Um, but I I my sense at this point is um, part of the problem with this is the way we've been trying to do things at scale. You know, we try to do all this stuff at scale and we try to do it. Social media, somebody says something and there's no, there's no opportunity for nuance. You just blast them. Like that's all you can do. Um, or, or maybe the church at scale, right. Is difficult. So we do, we mass produce one size fits all discipleship and we, um, we ostracize and whatever. But I feel like if you go at the scale of the table back to that, um, that opens up real life discipleship. And, and my goodness, what can you not lovingly address with somebody at that scale, right? Like I mean, you could be, you could be atheist, you could be Wiccan, you could be, um, whatever. And we could have an open dialogue where I respect you as a human and we talk about it and I share my deep convictions. And this is what the word of God says. Can we read it together? Can we talk about it together? We could even come to a fundamental disagreement on, yeah, boy, we're just not going to see this the same way. So it probably is best for us to part ways and for, you know, like you're, you're saying you want to follow Jesus, but living like this doesn't look like that. I just feel like all that stuff happens. There's the opportunity for wholesome, loving relationship on the smaller scale. Some of the problems I think, um, it's like the, we had a seminary prof that would say, um, the Bible, uh, the Bible is sufficient for God's church, but it may not be sufficient for the churches that we've created. Um, and by that, I think he meant we've kind of had this corporate model, um, you know, we've kind of, we've kind of, you know, we're, we're nonprofit corporations and there's, you know, just, you know, there's church staff and, you know, just things that aren't, aren't bad, but they're not necessarily in the Bible. And so we're going to run into some kind of unique, weird things. So it's not, it's not an answer. It's just a thought in a direction. maybe Yeah. And, and definitely it's not about don't say hard things. Right. So I actually, one of the objections I raised to myself here was like, what about Paul in the pastoral epistles? Cause he's constantly confronting heresy and sin. He's telling Timothy, like, charge these people not to teach any other doctrine. But what I found as I've read through this more closely is that a lot of these, um, there's a lot more calls to love and hospitality in the, in the epistles or in the, the pastoral epistles, but also the heresies that are warned against often are about division and things like that. So check this out. This is second Timothy two fourteen. He says, um, these people are teaching false doctrine, charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. I mean, that's interesting because I've always taken that as like, get these people that teach, you know, um, they're not Calvinistic enough or they're, you know, they, they're going to have a woman in the pulpit or whatever and confront them with the truth. But he's saying, there's these people that are really divisive and they're quarreling about the words like, 
get them to stop doing that, right? Um, or, or a little bit later, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So I feel like you, even the books where I have felt the most like, boy, the pastorals though are really big on confronting heresy. I go back and read them closer. And I'm like, man, so much of the heresy is this unloving in, in Intolerant behavior. I, I mean, I really do mean intolerant. I don't mean in the like coexist sort of a way of like every religion's the same, but in a way of like even your opponents treat them with dignity and, and correct them with respect and gentleness and everything. So, what else? What else? You guys are too easy. <laughs> Should not everyone that comes to a, a seminar like this, you guys are already the choir on this. So, uh, how have you? And you alluded a little bit to when you started the. the writing out the jackass theology and addressing that, you had people that were on both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people that were offended right off the bat. Yeah. So uh, what were some of the things that you've seen or you've had to, you know, uh, uh, navigate or maybe steer guide with being, like, biblically conservative of, like, hey, you know what, I want to keep my finger on the text. Yeah. But also, like, so, like, theologically conservative, but liberally Love. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Right? So yeah. What, that, that balance. You it's know, so it's, hard. Yeah. I, I'll tell what you, you. What do you? Yeah. What that stirs for me. Always gonna yeah. Say like, oh, well, you know what? My conscience is clear, but I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah. Where are you at? With that? So I. The, what it brings immediately to my mind is I found that when I, when I'm, uh, a bibl- I'm more of a biblical literalist than not. Right. So like the literal sense makes sense. Seek no other sense. We believe that. I totally do. Um, so if I use that with regard to like, you know, the biblical sexual ethic, if I'm like literal on that, man, I'm conservative and everyone praises me. If I am literal in, in the way that I read the doctrine of hell or the millennium or whatever, right, I'm a conservative. But if I'm literal on what Sheridan and Matt talked about, about like unity in the church or the commands to love, if I take that really literally and say we're, we're supposed to love each other, like as Christ, as the Father and the Son are one, we are supposed to be one. If I take that literal, literal then everyone's like, Ugh, it's liberal, you know, oh, you're soft on doctrine. Oh, you're not. And it's like, no, I'm like actually trying to take the Bible literally. When Jesus says that, I, I am foolish enough to believe that it's possible and that he actually wanted us to do that. And um, so that some of those like peacemaking texts and whatever, you know, it's like be at peace with everyone. You know, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Like to take that literally, you look like you're soft and you don't care about truth. But um, so we've had those discussions with people. Um, I think a lot. I think a lot of it does come back to the tone and emphasis. So I'm, I'm uh, non-affirming in my theology. I don't believe that um, same-sex sexual activity is God's design for human beings. That's my conviction. Um, but um, I, I am. I have friends that are gay, you know, and I. I we have people in our. Um, got a woman in our small group that was married to a woman and, and, uh, with a kid and everything. And, um, it's like, yeah, I, we've talked about it. We've talked about the theology of it. We know where each other's at on it. We know that we disagree and we also are agreeing to like love each other and, and like live together in a sense. Right. And there's all kinds of complications with that. Um, but, um, but I think I didn't, I didn't have to compromise my conviction and I didn't pretend that I didn't think that in order to befriend her and whatever. And she didn't need me to do that either, you know? Whereas there's other people that will be like, yeah, if you can't accept every piece of me, then I don't want anything to do with you. It's like, that's too bad because I, you know, I can't get myself there, but so I don't know. Yeah, I just, so I don't think it takes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Which is stupid, which is stupid. Instead of saying what's yeah. most important is that you know that you're loved by God. And what you're bringing up, um, when we talked about the enlightened jackass thing, 
par- part of some of the biggest enlightened jackasses I've seen are the ex-evangelical deconstructing Christian group where, um, and I, I'm not trying to like, oh, they're terrible. I've deconstructed some things too, but, um, but they tend to kind of walk away from the, the, the conservative upbringing they've had. They walk away. And then before you know, it, it's like, dude, anybody that believes that the world was created in six literal days is an idiot, you know? And it's like, well, you're being just as judgmental and hypocritical as anybody else. Right. So I think it's, I think it's important to say it's not just conservative American evangelicals that are the problem. I just think we're human beings too. And, and we shouldn't be surprised to like learn that. Right. And we shouldn't be afraid to, uh, publicly repent and, and be willing to tell people like, I've been a jackass in so many ways. And, you know, um, and you can say Pharisee and you can say whatever too, but we can, I, I don't think I can say this in here, but I, I, um, the blog post that we wrote that got the biggest following was, um, was back when, um, the John MacArthur and Beth Moore thing. Have you guys, were you guys familiar with all this? So Beth Moore is like a Southern Baptist um, person in like all these amazing Bible studies, this great ministry, very biblical and everything, I believe. I, I don't feel the need to vouch for all of her theology or whatever, but I, um, she seems really legit to me and all the stuff I've read and listened to. Anyways, she obviously loves the Lord and has had this profound ministry. John MacArthur was at a, um, his pastor's conference and it was the, the person that lobbed the question um, to him was, was, I think, setting him up for failure. But he swung for the fences, I think. So the question was, uh, give us two words that you would say to Beth Moore, you know, and, uh, and John MacArthur's words, go home, okay? Which I, you know, hearing that, I'm like, oh, that is so rude and dismissive, right? And then he goes on to explain, well, she's like, she's like all these people that, you know, you, you learn how to like sell jewelry and she should just go use her verbal skills to just sell jewelry and whatever and whatever. And, um, and so just so dismissive of an image bearer of God, of someone that God has used in these crazy powerful ways, so dismissive of someone whose theology differs than his own slightly. She was still complementarian at the time, although I do think that's changed over the last few years. And anyway, all that to say, um, so he did this, he did, he said that and I was righteously indignant and I, uh, I funneled all that energy into the most healthy way possible, which is write a blog post and blast it out to everybody. Right. So I wrote a blog post called John MacArthur's disgusting comment, you know, to Beth Moore, go home or something like that. And, um, and it, so it was got by, by far more views than anything else we ever put on there. But, um, then I immediately had friends saying, okay, what you just did to John MacArthur is no different than what you're accusing him of doing to her. And I still to this day wrestle with it. I'm not sure. I do think there's a, a pro- appropriate time to like call out and expose and say, hey, this isn't right, right? But I, as I read through it again, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. And so I kept it there, but I wrote a follow-up post called It's Impossible to Write About Being a Jackass Without Being a Jackass and gave me an opportunity to illustrate with my own self, like, yeah, like this is, this is ingrained in all of us and I struggle with it still and it's not like, you know, it's just hard. It would be easier to be like the full um, coexist uh, tolerance guru person that's just like, hey, we're all, we're all just doing the best we can. We're all fine. Um, I can't get myself there. I have two firm of convictions and I, I think Jesus is... Jesus often says really hard things and calls us hard things, but I also know the posture I want to have is not the one that the Pharisees had because that was, that was Jesus' harshest words, right? And, and I mean, people will even talk about Jesus flipping over tables and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, see, sometimes we need to be like angry for the faith and whatever. And I feel like, I don't know, Jesus did that once in three years. Like, 
Every, every third year you want to have a, a little outburst, go for it. You know, that's following Jesus' model. That's probably fine. And, um, but I just, I, yeah, and, and Jesus' anger was always at the religious leaders, you know. So, any other one up for you? So you've mentioned a couple times, um, let me copy out this too, as somebody who has zero social media presence. presence <laughs> uh, Good for you. Good for you. Very simple. I, I can vouch for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it seems to me, I mean, so this whole uh, vitriolic, uh, partisan, divided culture, I mean, it's not just localized in the church mm-hmm. either, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. There's a lack of institutional trust across the board in our, our, our society right now and an anger over, over such things as well. But it seems to be there is a high concentration of that in a digital era. Yeah. A digital medium of yeah. communication is conducive toward a partisanship uh, divide in ways that um, are either easy to uh, misread something, get the wrong tone, and, and good for you guys for having a blog. I didn't know anybody did blogs anymore. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it's, you know, it's hot stuff, man. <laughs> um, but just to talk about, it, off the cuff here, when you're – is it worthwhile for the cause of Christ for Christians to even be engaged in a social media context rather than what you alluded to before, just around the table? Yeah. And in terms of an investment of time and energy resources, is it worth going into the Twitter threads yeah. rather than knocking on my neighbor's door? I know. I, I, at this particular moment, have a hard time saying, yeah, it's totally worth it. It's, I can say it's not healthy for me right now. And I've had a few seasons where I'm like, I am literally taking these stupid apps off my phone and I'm often way happier when I stay away from them because the two things that are biting at me when I do that are my desire to like build the platform. So I'm, con- I'm like, I'm not just having healthy dialogue. I'm trying to posture it. And it's, it's bad for me, you know? And then there's just the vitriol and there's the everything gets misunderstood. I do know a few people that I think are doing it pretty well. I have a um, – Preston Sprinkle, is, he writes on um, LGBT stuff and he's um, – I think phenomenal. He's got a, a podcast called Theology in the Raw, and I think he does it really well. He just doesn't get into the comments. He just, you know, does his thing, whatever. And I think um, uh, Jason Pollock, um, who did the, the session on the metaverse gospel, I, I find his thing intriguing. So he's he's embracing not just um, live streaming uh, his services. So like that's that's like the best we could figure out to do was like we're going to still do our in person things and we'll just make it available online for people to follow along. He's like. He has a team that they're engaging online, digitally, with people in a way that engages them in healthy dialogue and stuff. And I, I feel like he's doing it pretty well. There's pros and cons in it, but he feels like he's had opportunity to, like, really reach people in a way that, um, you know, people have said, like, man, I, I would never have walked into an actual church building and whatever. So I feel like it's possible. I just don't feel like, at least right now, that it's my calling to do it. And I'm often so much happier when I stay away from all that stuff, especially in those seasons where it was like, if you're a pastor and you're not doing this or that, I just, for whatever reason, that was like really making me really insecure in a way that was not healthy for me. And I think when I silenced those voices, I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I have a lot to learn, but not from somebody shouting at me on, you know, 160 characters on Twitter, you know, my goodness. I don't know. I'd be saying something different if I had a big Twitter, fo- I'd like, you're not going to squander that if you, <laughs> but I tried and I, I'm at like a small number, so. Anybody else? Neil, can you recommend a pub for us to go hang out for the rest uh, of the day? 
the Josh can though. He's I, I the expert. Yeah, that's the associate pastor here at Valley. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. good. That's good. You probably have it on campus, don't you? Let's go to the tap room. <laughs> well, it's just like a half mile right down there. Okay, perfect. Well, listen, let me. Uh, oh yeah, go ahead, Marcus. Yeah. Share. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had a conversation with another friend recently, and, and he just you were talking about humility. You're referencing humility and the importance of humility and, and recovering that. And um, he, he shared a comment with me not long ago, and he goes, man, you know, I just want to point people to Jesus, die, and be forgotten. Yeah. You know, and that just resonated with me. I was like, dude, that's a good statement right I there. Know. It's like, rather than searching these platforms and whatnot, but... I want that, but I don't want that. If I'm if I'm honest with myself, right. <laughs> I have a hard time really wanting that. But I also feel like um, there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. I, I so I was, it was at a, it was at a John MacArthur pastors conference, and they asked Al Mohler or somebody like, "Who's the greatest preacher in America?" You know, and he's like, "You know, I'm tempted to list some names, but I'm pretty confident it's some." pastor in a country church that no one's ever heard of that's just preaching his heart out every week and just is in the wrong place to not have a platform and thought that's that's a cool answer to that you know because and also who cares you know like who cares my goodness yeah man got a question so like at a very practical local church level individual level when you see jackassery in a person mm-hmm. like what do you do because, like, obviously we can see it so clearly in others. Yeah. We're just, like, noted, noted, noted. Jackass, jackass. And we're just saying that to ourselves. Yeah. Not taking mental reflections of how we might be a jackass in that. But, like, how have you discipled people yeah. away from it or graciously pointed it out in them? Yeah. Um, the only, I, I can't say I'm a success with this by any means, but I would say the best I've ever done is relationship, you know, so sit down and, um, and cause, cause none of this is against, um, talking to people about things we see in their lives. Right. But I think it's doing it in a way that it's, I try to, I try to be confessional, you know, like I've tried to be today, like just, you know, Hey, I, I see this in, in you, or sometimes it's even just like, I'll share it myself and then they'll join in with it or whatever. And I also think that we're all different Enneagram numbers and probably all approach it from different angles. Somebody should write a book on uh, Enneagram jackasses. Um, I think the best way is like relationship over time and just, you know, I don't know, man, you know, I don't know. And I also think that so much of it is like, um, is service. And it's good for me. Like when somebody is bugging me like that, um, to find ways to like love and serve them, to like humble myself in front of them. Like I've, I've had a few opportunities to do that and it, really stinks but it's also so healthy and so good and it's good for them too you know but uh, yeah dude i always heard of a man who's given the name bob turnerburn bob turnerburn i yeah. love it and so you would uh confront people in the most belligerent way with the gospel and you know you, you better you know, you know accept it or turn turnerburn in hell it's fantastic and, and some people think it right on <laughs> that's right I mean, yeah. How wrong? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Jesus did a little of that too. So, uh, you know, who am I to say that it's totally wrong? But, you know, but then you couple it with verses like, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and, you know, those kinds of things. So, all right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. And then, um, uh, and then uh, I think just have whatever conversations. I think I had one more thought to your thing that I just want to say real quick. I do, I do think, I'm obviously preaching to the choir. You guys came because you wanted to talk about the stuff, but I feel like a huge piece of it is owning kind of what's in our own heart and sort of modeling that humility and that kind of confession to the people around us. Um, I have, I think I have less answers for how to 
change it in other people. You know what I'm saying? Like there's people in my church that need this and I'm, I'm trying to do it just by simply teaching the word of God as we go. But, um, I feel like I've, I've done a lot more, uh, I have more practice in trying to address it in myself than like solutions to handle it. And I think that's probably as it should be, you know, like, let's just model a bunch of humility for everybody. So let me pray. Let me pray, um, for you guys and for your churches and for myself. So Lord, thank you so much that we can have this time here together. And, um, I, on many levels, Lord, I just feel like the, the, the concept of jackass theology is so stupid. Um, but I also feel like, Lord, it's just, it's just this little tool in your hands that you've used to um, help me dig a little bit deeper into, I think, why I'm resistant to some of your ways that you call me into. And so I thank you for, I thank you for stupid little thoughts like this that help us to dig more into your character and your nature and what you really want for us. And I just, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. And I just thank you that we can have this time to discuss and to, to be kind of vulnerable and to laugh and everything else too. But um, I pray for, for each of us, Lord, I, I know that like on a core level, what we really want is to be um, just disciples sitting at your feet and we want to be like you and we want to be shaped by you. Um, and I, I am sure that my brothers and sisters here, just like me, feel um, our flesh kind of uh, taking over that. And we feel the pull of the, the world and the, and the desires for significance and respect and those kinds of things kind of cropping up. And I just pray that more and more you'd allow us to just be humbly uh, following you, humbly seeking you. I pray that our goals would align with yours, things like unity and love and grace and people coming to have these real encounters and seeing who you actually are. And Lord, I just pray for the churches that are represented here and these uh, beautiful people that you've brought under our shepherding care. And uh, Lord, there, there is just some really, really tough people that, um, that we rub shoulders with all the time and some really, really beautiful people that we rub shoulders with all the time. And often those are one and the same. And I just pray, Lord, for supernatural um, empowerment of your spirit to just love in the way that you loved to love in a way that looked at people that abused you and um, accused you and um, just were spewing evil and hatred and to still lay down your life and sacrifice. It's so beautiful. So I pray that we would be stirred. I pray, that, I pray that you would just free us from the burden of trying to accomplish something by the way that we follow you or trying to build something. I pray that that burden would disappear and I pray that we could have a burden of simply in humility following your steps, following your leading, embracing you more, loving you more. And I just pray that for every person that ever crossed our paths, every person that's in the church families that we belong to, may, uh, may you bring a cultural renewal to um, these little tiny corners of the American church and of the kingdom of God um, so that we could experience you in new ways that people, people who thought they were done with church could come back and see something compelling and something beautiful. And um, Thank you, Lord, that we get to be your partners in that. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.